Progress came and took its toll And in the name of flood control They made their plans and they drained the land Now the glades are going dry And the last time I walked in the swamp I sat up on a cypress stump I listened close and I heard the ghost Of Osceola cry The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are live on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee and online at wvfs.fsu.edu. You can call into the show at 850-644-1837. And if you miss us for even a second tonight, you can listen back to the entire show as a podcast Wherever you get your podcasts, just search Tomahawk Talk. And if you really can't get enough of the V89 Sports Crew, you can check out our Florida State-centric podcast, Talk and Shop, hosted by my good friend Gary Putnick here to my left, or our always interesting, never-the-same show, Tomahawk Talk Graveyard Shift, hosted by the one and only Sebastian Angeliano, our producer, who you all know uh, uh, very, very well. We've got a good one for you guys tonight. Uh, <laughs> going to Florida State, rooting for Florida State, and, and getting the chance to examine and analyze a lot of these programs at the ground level is an experience like no other. There are not many universities in this country that succeed athletically at the level that Florida State does. Since I've arrived in Tallahassee, I've witnessed a softball national title, a soccer national title, a baseball conference title, a trip to the College World Series, and many other awards won by many other teams. But now, this past weekend, got to witness another conference title that was the uh, Florida State men's basketball team taking home the ACC regular season championship and it's not the end goal for them it's not what what they want come the end of the season but man it's something that they've never done before it's something that requires a strong regular season 20 ACC games something that's never happened before this the schedule is extended this year Um, and it's just a really historic season capped off with a comfortable victory over Boston College um, and something that I was really, really happy to be there for. I've missed some basketball games, as you guys know, being here on the show and uh, covered a lot of games for the station and to get to go there as a fan, my last home game as a student and uh, to to witness that, it it was something incredible. I I have to admit I got a a little emotional, not too much, but but a little bit Um, and uh, we've talked about it so much on the show this year. How much, th- how much more this means, at least to me, and I think a lot of people within our department agree, than uh, a conference tournament title, which Florida State has won about seven years ago. To me, this means more given all that it takes going into it. You don't have to just get hot for one week. 20 games. This started all the way back at the beginning of the season with that road game at Pitt. Uh, and it, it, this team proved me wrong. I said they were going to win 12 games out of the 20 games they had on their ACC schedule. They blew past that. They won 16 and uh, eventually finished alone atop the ACC standings. Uh, but you guys don't want to hear from just me about this. Or maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> uh, let's let's introduce the rest of our crew. Joining me tonight, as always, is my good friend and co-host, Gary Putnick. Gary, even though the season is not yet over, we'll sleep in May. We sleep in uh, May. <laughs> but, but did you have a similar feeling that I did over the weekend watch, watching that game and watching the celebration uh, where it felt like the, you know Coach Hamilton, ever, all the work he's put in, all the work that this team has, has put in, it really came to fruition, really 
boy, you know, culminated in, in in that celebration after the game with the nets getting cut down, with the banner getting unfurled. Yeah, it was it was a wild experience. Like I know the game wasn't as exciting or like as close and competitive as like most people would want, but that was fine. I was happy with this win for this team. And like you said, we didn't expect this team to be anywhere close to they where they are now. Like as a a number four team in the nation in the AP rankings, yeah. number two projected seed in the NCAA tournament according to Joe Lenardi. That's something we weren't expecting to be anywhere close. I think where I was looking to see FSU in the tournament maybe is like an eight seed, something around like the middle, yeah. like a middle like tier kind of team. A normal at large yeah. bid for an ACC school. Exactly. Which you know, like, they did two years ago. Yeah, nothing too special, nothing too flashy, but they just exceeded all of our expectations. And it was amazing to see them all be rewarded for their hard work and that kind of effort that they gave this season. Yeah, and we've discussed it. It wasn't a rebuilding year. It wasn't even a, necessarily. I a thought trend. it was going to be a rebuilding. Well, it year. wasn't. It wasn't that. Well, I knew they were going to take a, re- a step yeah. back. I, yeah, it was going to be a step back. I don't know exactly rebuilding. And going into this season, no matter what happened in the ACC regular season, we always knew this team, you know, had a really good chance to make the tournament and to go very far to the tur- in the tournament, make a Final Four. We knew that was possible. We've seen how the depth of this team, but that doesn't really speak to how hard it is to to play throughout a 20-game schedule in the ACC, one of the tough, toughest conferences in the country. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, you know, the state of the conference I was going to say, it kind of helps that the state of the conference, not the Blue Bloods aren't there, and the New Bloods starting to rise. But still, <laughs> to go at Virginia, at Louisville, at Duke, played road games mm-hmm. in the next three teams in the standings. We're going to talk a lot more about that. We're going to dive deep. I think we're probably going to cover Florida State men's basketball for about the first half of the show, maybe even spilling into the second half. Uh, but joining our panel tonight is Luke Hazen, uh, Luke, uh, you and I hopped on a graveyard shift with Sebastian a few weeks back to preview the Oscars. Obviously, tons of great movies last year, including uh, in our favorite one. Oh yeah, Parasite took home Best Picture. I don't know if I mentioned that. What a great night that was! The Oscars. Oh, incredible! It was. It was one of the. You know, I usually when I recap my best moments of a year, uh, it's it's almost always sports. But the Oscars snuck in there again. The win with Parasite winning, but. Any great movies you've seen that come out this year that maybe, I know February is not a, you know, a great time for movies, but anything that you could caught your eye that might, uh, you know, carry some weight going into next yeah, year's award season? Yeah, I just want to say, glad to be back on Tomahawk Talk tonight. I know we can have all of our fun talking movies, but this right here, talking about sports, is where, where my loyalties really lie in the end. Um, but as a movie theater employee, I'm almost obligated every single year to do my due diligence <laughs> and to see as many movies as I can. And there are a couple that stand out. Uh, Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. I did see that one. Tons of action in it. Tons of hilarious moments. Everyone's great in that movie. So I put that near the top of my list. And as a horror film fan, that's my favorite genre of all time. Elizabeth Moss, Elizabeth Moss in The Invisible Man. Flat out tremendous performance. So I'd probably put that at the top yeah, of my list so far. I'm not, I'm not a horror guy myself, but I have heard You're good things out. about The Invisible Man. But rounding out our panel tonight, uh, not Invisible Man, is Lucas Vatia, who has been loving this Florida State men's basketball season. Lucas, what was it like to be at the Civic Center on Saturday for, for that moment, for that game? It was absolutely amazing. You know, being able to be there my last home game as well as a senior, just seeing the energy, the passion that was in there, being able to see, you know, at the end the team cut the nets after finally winning their first ACC regular season title in program history it just shows how much uh, this program has flourished these last few years you know what coach ham has been able to do with the team is just nothing short of incredible you know fsu basketball like they weren't supposed to accomplish what they have this season it's no. what you know these blue blood teams like duke or kansas or gonzaga can do you know after losing six guys you know you know you wouldn't really expect that from fsu you know most people wouldn't they were projected to be a bubble team at best for this year's tournament and coach ham has legitimately turned them into national championship contenders and it's just great to see and of course in my opinion fsu has the best home environment in the country yeah talking to you andy katz (laughs) (laughs) oh andy katz i think we talked about him we mentioned his list on last week's show he did bump florida state from 11 to 5 in his power rankings after florida state beat at, on, on the road at Notre Dame and at home against Boston College. Big wins in Mr. Katz's eyes. So <laughs> I don't know where the jump was from, from last week to, to this week. It's almost as if they should have been right there in the first yeah, place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe he realized that mistake and we'll let him walk that one back. We've been really harsh on him on social media and on air. but uh, well, He needs to come and speak on the show. <laughs> he needs yeah. to be on Talking Chopper talk. on here. He needs to discuss. And I mean, we need to hear his rationale rather than just... 
his one-sentence blurb on NCAA.com. At the end of the day, I could not care less what comes <laughs> I out care. of his mouth or what comes onto his, you know, goes on his website or his blog or whatever it is. I don't even know who he writes for. NCAA.com. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. That's like state-run media. Yep. No offense to the great people at Sunday. He's paid by the establishment. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let's move on to Saturday, to that game, to that moment. Uh, Gary, uh, right, right before you texted me, I was sitting next to, uh, went to the game with a good friend and a member of the 89 Sports, Scott Clemens. You guys have heard him here on the show before. And he pointed up to the, was it the south, the south it was end of the... Yeah, it would be the south end. Of the mm-hmm. rafters. And there was a banner that I had never seen before that was <laughs> furled up, that was wrapped up. Not all the way. Uh, Not almost all the way. All the way. Almost all the way. There, you could see the tip of like the Florida State logo. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I've never seen that before. I, I wonder what that could be. And then uh, short, not shortly after, immediately after, get a text from Gary. says, uh-oh, never seen this one before. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, my heart kind of dropped. Uh, I don't consider myself a super superstitious guy, but... You're a little stitious. I'm then. a little <laughs> stitious. If I'm going to quote, was that, was that Michael, uh, Scott. Michael Scott from The Office? Um, it's just something that it takes. Uh, it takes guts, for lack of a better word. Exactly. And I, when I saw that, my heart kind of dropped too. Because like being a baseball player, you're a bit, a little bit super. You're superstitious. I'm, I'm superstitious. I'll admit that. And seeing that, I was like, oh no, but, this is not going to go well for uh, for FSU tonight. <laughs> but this goes beyond like superstitious. This is like. Ooh, if this doesn't work out for Florida State today, for somehow, some way, Boston College pulls off a victory. And I don't know if I've specified it yet, but that banner obviously was the ACC regular season championship banner that was already up in the rafters. Usually Every the banners don't go up until the season after. Yep. I was not expecting to have a banner ceremony. That was confidence. A lot of confidence on FSC's behalf. So, so we have to be, and Florida State did end up being the outright title winners uh, if, if Louisville had beaten Virginia um, they would have quote unquote shared it, even though Florida State would have been the number one seed at the tournament with beating Louisville twice. I still don't get that. <laughs> yeah, but the ACC, I don't even know if they officially recognize the regular Every, season. Title. Everyone gets a trophy. So Participation <laughs> culture. <laughs> so it's up to each program to claim their their titles or to not claim their regular season titles. So I think it's pretty safe to assume that if Louisville hadn't won that game, uh, or if Louisville had won that game and been tied with Florida State, and they would have technically, or maybe in the eyes of Louisville, been co-champions, that Florida State still would have dropped that banner. Yeah, they would have dropped the banner for sure, because it, it didn't matter if it said co-champ, yeah. or re- it's just still regular, regular season, season champ. Yeah, and they, so they were confident enough that they could beat Boston College, which I was too. I mean, I thought there was mm-hmm. absolutely zero chance Florida State loses that game, especially on senior day. A little bit of shout out doubt came in once I saw that banner roll I would, up. No, I, I like, my oh. heart dropped. <laughs> and then I'm, and I, so I took a step back and I was like, you know what, it's not like, because I doubt the players even knew that was there. Yeah. Or maybe probably Coach Hamilton didn't even know. I would hope they didn't know. Yeah, because that's like, ooh, that's a big, that's a big. Uh... Yeah, so I saw that banner hanging, like, after I saw Gary's tweet, and I, after that, I got a little superstitious as well. I couldn't look back up there for the rest of the game. No, I was honest. looking back up there. The I was, <laughs> I was staring at it. I was on direct eye level because I was in the upper deck, so I was just looking at it the whole time. Like, I would either look down at the court or look directly at it. I was like, it's staring me right in the eyes right now. You know, all due respect to Boston College, I really wasn't worried whether or not FSU was going to get their share of the ACC title. It was more me pondering, does that banner say co-champion? Are they going to play it safe and no. go with co-champion? If Virginia had won that game, you couldn't unfurl so it said co-champion. I was completely interested in how they managed to play this out with, like, if Louisville had won that game. And I would have been irrationally angry if they if they put co-champion. That said co-champion. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Even that would, if that's what it ended up being. Oh, Do you yeah. think Wisconsin and the other Big Ten teams are going <laughs> to no. have co-co-champion? It's a three It was Wisconsin, Michigan State, and, and Maryland. Maryland. All are three are all champions, but Wisconsin is the number one seed in the Big Ten tournament. I so think Maryland, the Maryland's two and Michigan State's three. So Wisconsin has the biggest share of the I three. I have no faith in Wisconsin getting four in the tournament. But we'll talk about that next <laughs> week. We actually have a bracket. Wisconsin basketball is so hard to watch. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that game Saturday. And, and like Lucas said, he couldn't look up. I was looking at that that unfurled banner for the rest of the game, and I got even more nervous. Florida State was up like 25, I think, at the under eight timeout or the under four timeout and made an announcement uh, over the, the PA speakers. There will be a special celebration at the end of the game. And I was like... <laughs> I was still like, oh, they're they're taking it like they're coasting into this. Um, but what a game! Florida State wins it, eighty to sixty-two. Best performance of the night. 
uh, it's got to be Dom Alenichuk, right? Yeah, Dom showed up, especially in the first early few minutes of the game. The first few possessions, he was showing up, and he was able to work down low and prove why he actually deserved to be on this team from the start. Well, it was senior day, and he is a senior. Uh, I know a lot of the attention went towards Trent Forrest, as it should. He's been here for four years. Mm-hmm. He, he's the winningest player in Florida State history, uh, and he deserved all that attention, all that praise, all that love that was given to him by the Florida State faithful. But Dom has played, even though he hasn't necessarily produced uh, 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 that much on an offensive level, he's played a huge role in this team and everything they've been able to accomplish. And uh, just Coach Ham's been telling you as the season goes on, like you need to shoot more. You need to get in position. You're getting in position. You're just not putting up the shots. And he took 10, 10 shots uh, on Saturday's game, sunk seven of them, finished with, with 14 points. And uh, definitely, I don't think it was a career high for his entire career. For, I think Ole Miss... He topped that, uh, but definitely a career-best game at Florida State. Yeah, it was for sure his – I don't know if it was his one shining moment. I'm going to hope <laughs> that it's not his one shining moment. Maybe that comes in later in March, but he certainly played well, and I'm happy with it. Even Balsha, he got it some decent playing time, too. He looked pretty decent. Well, Balsha led the led the team in scoring. He had 15. He went exactly. six for six from the exactly. field mm-hmm. in 11 minutes. It was all about the big guys. And I know there was, oh, yeah. a, there was a huge mismatch. But in terms of Florida State's length and Boston College's length and their height and their ability to protect the paint. Um, so Florida State exploited that. It's not something we've seen Florida State exploit all year, though. Yeah, but we have seen them exploit whatever other the other team's weakness is. That's, yeah. that's how it's gone this season. And they've played other teams that are not as small as Boston College, but close to it. And even they'll get the ball to Dom, and he'll dish it out. And if you're having a poor shooting night, that can spell trouble. Or exactly. if Trent's not getting that open lane, if they've got you know good guard play on the defensive side of the ball. So it was, and I know there's not a whole lot to take out of this game, given what we know about Boston College and the, you know, the circumstances around that game. But I was really impressed to see how they kept funneling the ball into Balsha and into Dom and how they were able to get the ball in the bucket. That was huge, and that's something they've got to be able to have in their bag, not only for the ACC tournament, but obviously for the NCAA tournament as well. Yeah, it was just nice to see Dom, you know, the whole season we've seen him play with his hair on fire, one of the spark plugs for FSU, uh, always motivating and getting him going. Um, It was nice to see him and his statistics match his effort level. Yeah, for sure. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the the ACC tournament and all the other stuff surrounding what this means for Florida State. But we did mention that uh, Florida State was the ACC, the outright champions over Louisville after they lost at Virginia. Uh, And it gave Florida State a game lead over the Cardinals in the standings. And uh, our very own Austin Reynolds, who was there covering the game for the FSVU, got a chance to talk to Coach Hamilton after the game regarding that. And uh, this is what Coach Hamilton had to say. Happy if we were, you know, but it if we'd have had to share it, but um, obviously it's very special when you can hold your finger up and say we're number one. And, and I'm always, back during the year, I, 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 they always, my players always say, I say the same thing over and over and over. I tell them, I know y'all heard it before. So I treat them like my father treated me. And I, I, I told them back in September, nobody's standing on the ladder and saying I'm number four or number five. Only one team has a chance to stand up and say, I'm number one. And that takes a special effort and a special focus. And, and we truly can say that now, that we we number one. And I'm proud of that and happy for my place. Thank you all very much. Here we go. Appreciate it, Coach. Down that Thank chair. Thanks. That chair right there. Thank you. And that was uh, Coach Hamilton um, Saturday after the game in, in what was a, I'm sure, a jubilant mood uh, in, in that press room on Saturday, Austin. And uh, we all saw them cut down the nets. Some people have differing opinions about cutting down the nets for a regular season championship. I, I was okay with it. I thought it was, it was well-deserved. They did, Yeah, for sure they deserve because it's the first ACC uh, conference regular season title this team has ever won. It's the first regular season conference title the team has won since they were in the Metro back in 88-89. Yeah. So it's been a long time, and... Anytime you have a huge milestone in a program's history, you gotta treat it. Well, you gotta treat it right. Yeah, and apparently other schools have done this too. There's a precedent for cutting down the nets and having the t-shirts and everything. And a lot of people will say, "Well, it's all about making the Final Four. It's all about winning a national title." In terms of the longevity of having a successful basketball program, this was so important. And that I know there was a five-star recruit in attendance for the 2022 class. I want to say. So, I mean, Luke, what does this mean going forward for, for the status of Florida State basketball on the national landscape? Well, the people that say, you know, the, the program's success is defined by what you do in March and what you do in 
you know, conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, they couldn't be further away from the truth. I, I always judge a basketball team and a basketball program's success on how they fare year in and year out in their conference uh, seasons. And as we all know, in the ACC, when it comes to basketball, it just means more. <laughs> <laughs> that that game in and game out grind with some of the best teams, most famous Blue Bloods in all of America, um, this is huge for Florida State getting their first outright conference win, or, sorry, uh, season championship, in that it kind of alleviates the pressure a little bit when it comes to recruiting. You now know that you have a packed stadium, a rabid fan base that, frankly, when FSU plays there, they do not lose. And so you invite these five stars there thinking, okay, what more do we have to do? What more do we have to do to get this guy to come? FSU can now stand back and say, what more do you want from us? We haven't lost a game all season long. We have one of the best teams in America. And I think that speaks for itself when recruits come to Florida State and they look at it like that. And yeah. this, and none of this this season diminishes what's happened in the past or, like, supersedes it. It just is that stuff. The past three years has been the foundation for this program. 100%. And now this ACC regular season title is the cornerstone for a building that will become this FSU program and how it's going to develop in the future and how it can grow. And I think it's huge. I don't want to uh, diminish anything that this basketball team has done. As you know, as everyone listening knows, I've been nothing but positive about this basketball team ever since I took over as host of this show. But I do want to play a hypothetical really quickly. Uh, could you guys imagine how how good this team probably be one of the top, probably the top team in the country in my opinion, if they had secured the talents of Anthony Edwards last year, if he hadn't canceled his visit, if he hadn't, uh, if Georgia hadn't dropped the bag for him, that leftover football money. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> if they had retained Fiondu Cabangeli for one more year. Could you imagine what this team is capable of? And again, I don't want to take away anything that yeah. this team has accomplished because they've accomplished it all. They're the number four team in the country. And it is dangerous playing hypotheticals. We have no, like, I hate doing that because we don't know how w- one player would have affected the right, rest of the right. season. L- l- let's just embrace. It's a conversation for it. It's a conversation for it. Yeah, exactly. Because, exactly, like, you can't deal in that stuff. And, like, if we're going to keep quoting The Office today, if only injusts were candies and nuts, then every day would be Ernst the Donkfest. <laughs> <laughs> like, you can't, like, look in the past and say, what if this happened? Because, like, a lot of people do that with every sports team. Like, being a Marlins fan, it's every single day we all do that with every single yeah. hypothetical yeah. about the Marlins. What if we didn't sell Miggy back in the day? Everything would have been different, but I think I'm happy with the way this team's turned out, and they've played phenomenally. In that same fashion, you also can't look to the future and play these what-if games. You know, what if Florida State loses in the second round of the NCAA tournament this year? Does that diminish anything that this team has accomplished this year? No. To that, I'd say no. No. Absolutely not. Yes, they didn't perform. Yes, if that were to happen, they didn't perform well when it mattered in the playoffs, but... They performed also another time at other times when it mattered in the regular season, and that's just as impressive because going through the grind of a regular season in any sports and coming out as the regular season champ is an accomplishment in and of itself, and it's impressive when you can do that because that means you're consistent for a very long portion of time because the playoffs, they're great to decide who's the champion, but they also can screw teams over because uh, somebody can get hot in the last four or five games of the season. Maybe they didn't win all the games in the regular season, and they just got lucky. Yeah, for sure. And before we start breaking down the ACC tournament and what's ahead for Florida State in the coming week, uh, let's talk a little bit about the AP poll. Florida State jumping back up into the top five, all the way up to number four, which is their, now their highest ranking since they were number two all the way back in 1972, um, a long, long, long time ago. But you guys think this is, is, is a fair spot for Florida State to land? Yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I think this is a fair spot. I mean... It's a bit surprising. I wasn't expecting four, but I can live with it. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of echo that. What they've been able to do this season is absolutely indicative of where they are now. They definitely do deserve this. Yeah, one hundred. I think you it. you look at the ACC moniker right next to Florida State on there, and you look at the guys right below them with Baylor, San Diego State, and Creighton. You know, Big Twelve. Big now Baylor had a great season, but they didn't win their outright conference championship. Um, and then San Diego State and Creighton are in the Mountain West and the Big East. It doesn't have the same ring to it as ACC regular season champion does next to Florida State. To run to run that specific table in the fashion that Florida State did, I think number four is absolutely deserving. Now moving on to the ACC tournament, which will be in Greensboro later this week. Um, it's uh, 
it's pretty nice to be sitting at the one seat. You know, Luke, I know. Is it? Is it nice to be sitting I, at the it, one seat? It is. It yes, is. It it's is. Guaranteed. It's that guaranteed um, double buy or triple buy, I guess, with the, with the play-in games early on. The you're path straight, of least resistance. That's what you hope for. You're straight into the quarterfinal, and you're not going to get stuck playing a Notre Dame, which has been tough for Florida State twice now. You're not going to get Syracuse, which we know can play really good basketball. You're not even going to get Valtech or North Carolina, where they could turn up on the day with a good performance. And well, you do you do have Clemson, and I know that's a that's a soft spot. And Austin over there tripping and saying Clemson is is a worry as well. Um, although on a neutral site, I, I think Florida State can handle them. Yeah, I'm not worried. Easily. I'm not necessarily worried about Clemson nor Miami on the two teams that could play FSU on was that when Thursday. But I'm it's I'm really looking towards the second or the next the semifinal yeah. matchup. And Luke, we were talking about earlier. You can kind of take over from here. Yeah, I, I think Florida State. When you look at the bracket as a whole, I think they got screwed over. And it's no one's fault, really. Duke came in fourth place. They were not as good as Virginia, Louisville, and FSU this year. But if you're asking me who I would want to play leading up to the championship in that semifinal game, I would much rather play Virginia or Louisville. Really? Who we know FSU has had success against this season than Duke, who has kind of had (laughs) FSU's number the last couple of years. If I had my pick of the litter, it would be Louisville because I think they solely run through Jordan Noir. I know they've got some other talented players, but we've seen that if Florida State can shut down Noir, take him out of the game, they can win easily. Virginia is a bad matchup, I think, though, for Florida State. I'm glad they won't have to play them until the final. Duke, I said it after that game uh, at Cameron Indoor, on a neutral side, I would probably take Florida State in that one. But Coach K, I'm just worried yeah, about Coach right. K is yeah. a basketball genius. What and, I'm saying, yeah. and not saying Leonard Hamilton isn't, but it's just one's a really good coach and the other's still a good coach. Yeah, no, and, it, well, and that shows, you know, you get you the number one team in the conference, you're, you don't need to be worried about the teams that are below you. I know Florida State's already right. lost to Duke, but... What, what I'm trying to say is, if you were to give me a combination of two of those three teams out of all those, I would say Duke, I, I want no part of. Mm-hmm. Virginia and Louisville, I'm fine if I had to beat them back-to-back, but having to beat Duke and then one of Louisville or Virginia, I think if FSU fans were going to be scared of something happening in this tournament, um, which... They probably shouldn't be. They're the number one seed. They were the best team in the ACC this year. I'm a little bit scared of having to run through Duke and then where the other. Well, here's now the question. Are you okay with an FSU loss in the second round of this tournament to Duke? Because that might mean they get a few more days extra rest for the NCAA tournament. Because there is the whole thing, the rest versus rust debate we get into now. I want more banners. You want more banners? banners. At the the cost of possibly an early round loss in the tournament? I don't think that'll happen. Running running the table and securing that number, like, in all all likelihood, if if FSU runs runs through this bracket right here and mm -hmm. wins the ACC tournament... They will have secured a number one seed, in my opinion, and I they think they should. That Which is a first round buy. I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Exactly. Yeah, because the odds of a one sixteen upset is it's happened once. Yes, and is highly unlikely. More so than uh, more so than just you know planning for the NCAA tournament, seeing what FSU projects to do. You know, winning the ACC regular season conference cha- championship, and then. Following that up with a run through the ACC tournament, that that's a season for the books. That's, 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 the, that, that that's the, the best that season. That is the greatest in, season yeah. FSU will have ever had Probably in the history of their basketball program, and that's something you can you can hang on your wall forever, despite whatever happens in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. what I'm saying. I'm, I don't want so, FSU yeah. to lose personally in the tournament, in the ACC tournament, in the second or first round that they play in, but. I'm also not against them like like Virginia had that a few years ago when they won what FSU beat them in F- the yeah they FSU beat them in the beat semifinals them, and then year, they go it? on to win the national title. I mean, so there's a little bit of give and take that you could possibly have here. And so if you got if you got to pick who you want Florida State to play real quick before we had to break, Clemson or Miami in the quarterfinal, Gary? Miami. Miami was easy yeah, matchup this 100%. season. We have a consensus here. We'd rather one hundred percent games. Go ahead. Sorry, I was gonna say I'd rather I'd honestly rather see FSU play Clemson just because I want to see that chance, you know, for a revenge game. But I don't you know, want. I, I, I get your point. I wouldn't mind I don't Miami Cle- because they are the easier matchup. Clemson, you know, that path the least resistance. So if you're coming from cool the revenge way. aspect for Clemson, I don't think if you are on that kind of path, you don't even want Clemson to have the chance to get that because that's just so much more demoralizing to lose to Miami, a team that isn't good enough to probably hang with either of either FSU or Clemson. So I mean, it would be a little bit. It would be kind of funny if you're FSU fan or Clemson hater yeah. watching I, that play out. I think out. they handle either of them, whoever they get, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll know the outcome of the ACC tournament as a whole by the next time 
You'll hear from us next week on our next week's show. We'll have a full NCAA bracket as well. But we are about halfway through the hour, and we're going to uh, go ahead and t- send it to break. we got Bryce with the Seminole segment coming up in just a second. Good evening, everybody. This is Bryce Roden here with the Seminole Segment. This past weekend, the women's softball team took on a doubleheader on Saturday. The first game was a tough one against the Creighton Blue Jays. It was a narrow 2-1 win, but they prevailed and got the job done. Pitcher Kaylin Arnold put on an impressive performance, only allowing a mere three hits and a whopping nine strikeouts. And in the Charleston Southern game, FSU had a commanding 10-5 win. Danny Morgan and Elizabeth Mason also hit home runs to help bolster the null score. Danny Morgan's home run in the Charleston Southern game was her second home run of the day, and it was quite a day on offense for Florida State. Sandercock had a great day on the mound as well, with four strikeouts and only four runs allowed. And for the men's baseball team, they were able to roll past Duke with a big 10-2 win. It was a great day for the Knolls as they smacked 13 total hits and had a combined pitching effort of 13 strikeouts. The pitching rotation also did not allow a single run within a seven-inning stretch. Elijah Cable hit a home run, and picked up a single two to help out the Knolls. This marks his seventh one on the year. Reese Albert put one over the fence and went off for a double. Albert's home run is his second of the year so far, and Jack Anderson just let up one lonely hit, and over half of his pitches landed as strikes. That's all for me. Now back to the guys in the studio. And thank you for that, Bryce. And uh, now joining the show to talk ACC women's basketball is the radio voice of the Seminoles, Aria Masudi, who was in Greensboro for the ACC tournament last week. Aria, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, Aria, talk to me a little bit about what that experience was like in Greensboro for for you and and for the team making it all the way to the championship game, where ultimately they fell to NC State in a a really, really fun game to watch. They they lost that one 71-66 to the Wolfpack. But just talk a little bit about the experience up there in, uh, in Greensboro. Yeah, it was great. Uh, we we really needed to have a good week up there for a lot of reasons. One, we finished nine and seven in our last sixteen games, and so a lot of question marks had started to rise about you know this Florida State women's basketball team. And you know we went thirteen and zero in non conference play, rose up into the top ten, beat Texas A and M, who was ranked in the top five at the time. We beat them by about thirty. Uh, and then really looked really looked awesome, you know, throughout all non-conference play, and people started to doubt, you know, what can this team do? And I thought going up to the ACC tournament, that was a big chance for the, the team to really showcase that this is still a team that many people thought they could be at the Final Four caliber team when they're all clicking together. And I thought Florida State showed that, you know. I thought, I thought the ladies 
against Louisville. They beat them a second time on the season. I believe that was a top-five Louisville team. and uh, So that was big. And then NC State would have been nice to have that one, not only to have the first ACC tournament championship for Sue Semrau, but also because I think it could have meant uh, possibly hosting the NCAA tournament for the first two rounds. But now that looks pretty iffy. And so uh, while we're uh, probably all a little, little disappointed at the way that went because we had our chances to, to win the game, I think everyone's kind of proud of the effort. And so uh, now, you know, you have some momentum going into NCAA tournament time. Yeah, you're, you're right. They, they did lack that consistency throughout the regular season, but it is promising to see them build up that type of momentum, even though they, they couldn't win that championship game. It was an amazing performance um, from the three seniors, Kaya Gillespie, Nikki Akamu, and Naja Wolfolk. Talk to me about what it was like to see you know, to see them in a, in a championship game um, in their senior season and how well they played last year, or this year, I mean. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think when those three are all clicking, I think Florida State can they'll hang with anybody in the country. It could be Baylor, it could be Oregon, it could be UConn, uh, it could be South Carolina, you know, all these favorites that everybody has right now for the NCAA. Florida State, if those three play at a high level, the Seminoles in the fourth quarter will have a chance. And so they've, they've shown that, uh, that that is the case. When they beat Texas A&M, who was one of the best teams in the country at the time, all three played really well. When they beat Louisville at Louisville, uh, that was having all three of those players step up. And then again, when they beat the Cardinals again in the semifinals of the ACC tournament, they had that. Um, and then in the ACC title game against NC State, Florida State was up five with about, I think, right under four minutes to play. Yeah. And in large part because Kaya Gillespie finished with 25, Nikki Akamu and Naja Wolfolk each had 17. So it's been really cool to watch. Those three deserve it. And um, I got to tell you what, if, if FSU has any chance, though, of getting deep into an NCAA tournament, those three will be relied upon. Now, we've seen throughout the season those three light up the box score, you know, every single night. Are there any other players on this roster that, you know, you might not notice if you just look at the box score, but since, you know, you're on the ground level with this program, that you've been able to see that play a huge role in, in the success they've had? Yeah, you know, I think having a big three, those, those uh, the trio has to be on. Um, as you saw with, you know, remember the Miami Heat with uh, LeBron, with uh, Bosch, of course, Wade. All three of them had to play well, but you also had to have some contributions from from somebody else. You can't have nothing, you know, from it, from the rest of them. And uh, I think Courtney Weber's a player that stepped up against Louisville and against uh, Wake Forest in the ACC tournament. Uh, Morgan Jones is a player that doesn't always light up the the box score per se, but as you mentioned, but she is a tenacious defender. Usually, Florida State puts her on the point guard of the opposing team, and she's six two with long arms and she's cat quick, and so that. That has been a difference for FSU when they've been able to really stop teams defensively is how well she plays. So I think Weber and Jones are the two that are big. And then what you can get from Puisis, if you can get you know two or three threes from beyond the arc for her, and if River Baldwin and Valencia Myers can, can give you some post presence, I think that's the group right there that ends up making the biggest difference for FSU uh, in wins and losses. Aria, it's Gary here. Uh, I just got one quick question. You mentioned this team's inconsistencies throughout the, pretty much just 2020. What do you think it's yeah. going to be? What do you think it's going to take for them to be able to find that it factor for the tournament? Yeah, you know, I think we saw sparks of it in the ACC tournament. I, I honestly think it's defense and rebounding. Those are pillars of Sue Semrau's program, and those are things that if you ask Coach Semrau, she will always go back to defense, rebounding. When Florida State doesn't win games, they get beat on the on the glass in the rebounding battle. And NC State actually won that rebound battle 41-30 to uh, on Sunday. And Florida State defensively, there's a really cool stat. So for all of our pregame and postgame shows uh, for radio, uh, we have we have like a, a sports information director that gives us all these little new, these little nuggets and stats. And Florida State's 18-0 and this season when they hold their opponent to under 40% from the field. And so that is a huge number. They did it to Louisville twice. They did it to Texas A&M. So defense rebounding, I think that's the it factor if you're asking for it, Gary. Um, but for Florida State, you know, you can count. I think you can usually count on you can count on the big three to at least put points on the board. The question is, can you stop anybody? And then when you do get a stop, can you make sure they don't get second chances? And if I think if Florida State does those things, it doesn't matter if you're playing on a neutral court, if you're playing on an away court, if you're playing on Mars. It doesn't matter. It'll, it'll work. <laughs> hey, Aria, it's uh, Luke Hazen here. And, you know, building off of what Gary said about finding that it factor come tournament time, you know, 
some teams lose it, some teams gain it heading into the tournament. Um, in your experience covering women's basketball, how volatile and unpredictable is the women's tournament on a year-to-year basis than the men's? What, what should we expect heading into March Madness? So generally, I've covered a lot of women's sports, just uh, from you know soccer to basketball to softball. There's less parity in women's sports than there is in men's, and so while you usually see those upsets in the men's tournament, almost, I mean, I feel like once or twice a year you have that oh my goodness moment, you know, in the men's tournament. But in the women's, typically the number one and number two seeds make it pretty far. Uh, the three seeds will get to the Sweet 16, and you know. You really, it's pretty much chalk, you know, one and four playing a sweet 16, two and three, and so on and so forth. Now, that doesn't mean it never happens. Florida State got beat by Buffalo a few years back in Tallahassee. The, uh, the Bison were, I believe, an 11 seed at the time. Florida State was a three, and so the Bison actually went to the sweet 16. So it does happen, and Syracuse one year made it all the way to the final four, I believe, as a four or five seed. So I can't say it never happens, but... It's definitely a lot less volatile, as you mentioned. Uh, the men's tournament's crazy, and uh, it's part of why it's become so big. All right. Hey, Arya, Lucas Vetia here. So, you know, as we saw on Saturday, it was a close game all the way through. It really could have been anybody's game. So, based off of what we saw on Saturday, you know, where can you see this team ending up in the tournament? You know, how far do you see them going? I know it's kind of hard, you know, to tell right now without having a bracket, but if you had to guess right now. Yeah, I think right now – if I see the same Florida State team that I saw this weekend, uh, or I should say this week in Greensboro, I think they'll make a Sweet 16. I, I feel pretty confident looking at who all the uh, the four seeds are for for what they have projected, that FSU has a chance against all of them. The tough part is with the women's tournament is that the first two rounds are played actually on a campus site. So that's where the advantage of being a top-four host helps you. You get a home game. And home games are far different from neutral court games just for obvious reasons. So um, it's going to be tough, but I, I do think this FSU team, when they're clicking, is more of a two or three seed in terms of talent and production. So any four seed who gets Florida State will probably see their name pop up in their bracket and probably think, dang, I re- do we really have to play them? Wish we didn't. So. <laughs> well, Arya, thanks for hopping on and uh, sharing a little bit of your insight. I know you, you're you know, you've got your finger on the pulse of this program as much as anyone, and uh, you're going to be traveling with the team uh, for the tournament? I will be, yeah. So we have the week off, and then uh, next week we'll, we'll travel. Well, awesome. Aria, thank you for, for hopping on the show. All right, man. Y'all enjoy V89. Some of the some of the best years of my college experience were, were in that sports department, so y'all enjoy it and live it up. Awesome, awesome. Thank you so much. That was Aria Masudi, the, the radio voice of Florida State women's basketball joining the show with us, uh, talking a little bit about his trip at Greensboro with the team, their run to the conference title game, and uh, now preparing for the NCAA tournament. And I think next week we'll be on air when the uh, selection show goes live. Maybe we'll get to break down the bracket as it's released next Monday night for uh, the, the women's tournament. Spend the whole show doing it. Yeah, for sure, for <laughs> sure. Um, do want to talk about Florida State football, though. And I know it seems like we're a long way. From football season. Such a long time. Such a long time. Was it August like 31st, I feel like? I can't do it. Luckily, (laughs) we've got baseball. Don't even need to uh, stress about missing football when we've got March Madness coming up. But spring football gets underway last week. And uh, I'll admit, and I've probably said it on this show, we haven't talked a whole lot of football since I've been host, but we talked a lot about it last semester, and I made a lot of appearances then um, as a panelist. Um, but I've been very hesitant to, to sing the praises of, of Mike Norvell. Uh, I liked the hiring. I liked the coaches he brought on staff. But I don't know if it's because I'm, I'm gun-shy or I'm just, I was a little sour about how the Willie Taggart era ended. But I've been, I've been really hesitant. And this week it's starting to change. I, well, I understand that hesitant kind of nature when you're first seeing this kind of come about because it's like a relationship. You got hurt by your last uh, partner, and now you need to find someone new. And it, you don't want to open up too quickly, and you just want to take it nice and easy. 
But Gary, you seem to be talking like from from deep, deep personal <laughs> no, experience. No, here. I'm just talking right now. I'm doing my best, Doctor Phil here. Story from a friend, pretty much. Maybe, yeah, yeah. yeah, my friend from Canada. But yeah, no. But you want to f- you want to be sure that he's the right person. <laughs> you don't want to uh, rush into anything. So, yeah. and I think he's you're hearing the right things right now. He's saying all the right things. And Greg Willie did that too when Jimbo left. It's Willie easy did, to say all the right th- things. That's exactly. the problem right there is that we've we've heard the same things over mm-hmm. and over again before from another guy. I can go we up got, there and say all the right things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, you can get excited about it all you want, but I won't, you know, really believe into it until I see it in action. Like, like we said, a long way until August. You know, that's really where a lot of th- he's going to have to prove himself. And that's a lot of time to talk too. Yes, a lot of time for us to speculate and talk and actually, and only see one game between then and now, and not even a real game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but that all comes with a big but. That's starting to change because uh, last Friday. Um, myself, along with many other members of the media, uh, were up at the Varsity Club in the Moore Center, fourth floor of, of uh, UCD in the Moore Center. Um, and got a chance to talk to Coach Norvell, talk to some of his staff, talk to some of the players, and enjoy a big old barbecue lunch. Uh, this is an event that, again, I, I don't know if this has happened with under previous staffs, under Bowden, Fisher, or, or Taggart, um, but it was something I thought was a really cool opportunity to, to get to know this coaching staff. And for members of the media, that's so, so important to develop those relationships, to get those really good stories out so we can bring it to you guys uh, and to our listeners. Um, it was a great event. It, it showed me that, that Norvell was committed to getting the small things right. He said it. He said, we want you guys to have as much access as possible. We want to be open with you guys as much as we can. And uh, we, we don't want you guys to feel like the enemy. We don't want it to be, which, and I, and I will say, I, don't, I didn't feel that with the Taggart staff, though. At the end of the yes. Taggart era, it felt that way. And that was evident because, like, seeing it, covering it for the newspaper from the first year of Willie to then last year, or this past season with Willie, clear difference. There was a clear and utter change in styles and just how everything was managed. And that might come with the losing. It, yeah. Oh, it for sure. Oh no, it for sure came with the way the performance on the field. It really. I don't think that was Willie's choice necessarily, but like it kind of may have been forced upon. Well, yeah, him. the last couple of months of the Willie Taggart era, you know, there, it was clear among media members and Willie Taggart's camp that something was going to go down there, and neither party really wanted to talk about it. So I think that's where, I think that's where a lot of the tension came from. Yeah, with the last couple months. Everyone was just wondering when is it going to happen, not if it's going to happen, because it was eminent at that point. At like, was it ha- not even halfway through the season? It was eminent yeah. that he was going to be gone. Yeah, and going back to Norvell, we've talked a lot about Tiger. We don't want to keep. Yeah, we got we got to move on from Tiger. Um, Norvell, a really personable guy. He actually, sat down at at my my table when we had lunch and got the chance to talk to him and, and really meet him for the first time. I was at his introductory press conference. He did uh, say. Uh, Jay Sutton, uh, V89 mm-hmm. correspondent that uh, does a lot of other work outside of the station, uh, asked him, he said, Coach, you know, being a college football coach, you know, you don't really have a lot of time to exercise, but you look like, you know, you're in great shape. What's what's your secret, Coach? And, you know, he said, you know, I try to run a couple days a week and lift once, maybe twice a week if I've got some extra time. And, uh, you know, but it's, it's not a lot, but it's better than nothing. And then, and then he said, and then I said, well, Coach, uh, you know, it's better than nothing because that, that's what I do. And he goes, nothing? And I say, yeah, man, I don't, I don't really have time either. He go, and then he said to me, uh, well, we all have a plan, and at least you're sticking to yours. <laughs> <laughs> so some, some little, a little jab there from Coach Novell, but all in good fun. And he, he was a personal guy and got the chance to, uh, you know, listen to his, to his press conference to open the spring camp. And, and we are going to go ahead and, uh, and play that audio now. Appreciate everybody being here. Uh, you know, obviously, a lot of excitement uh, about spring practice starting uh, here tomorrow. Uh, it's been a wonderful off season. Uh, you know, uh, got to give a, uh, a great shout of, of appreciation to our strength staff, nutrition staff, uh, athletic trainers. Uh, the work that's gone into the first nine weeks of, uh, of the semester has been incredible. Uh, it's been uh, it's been great seeing the, the growth and the buy-in from our players. Uh, what we're asking them to do is. Uh, you know, it's it pretty remarkable. Uh, just it's a, it's a, an all-inclusive approach to uh, to trying to grow and, and get better. And uh, you know, we're challenging these guys in every aspect of their life. And uh, they are they are really um, they've made some great strides uh, here early. I think uh, I was telling them this morning. Uh, I think it's 695 pounds of positive growth in body in body weight. 
just body weight among 91 players on our team. So that's an average of seven pound, a seven pound gain, or some guys that we asked to lose weight did a remarkable job with that. Um, you know, they've, they've really started to change their bodies and uh, the, the, the strength numbers of what we've been able to accomplish and the work we've been able to get done in our tour of duty has, has been, um, it's been a lot of fun to, to be a part of and to watch. So uh, now we get to get to start up, uh, you know, on the fields tomorrow, and uh, you know we're definitely looking forward to that process of of, uh, of growth mentally and uh, continued physical development for where we want to go. And that that is just uh, part of Coach Norvell and then the comments he made um, at that opening press conference. Talked a lot about you know the strength and conditioning and the nutritional aspect, which is really all you have to talk about before you get on onto the field for for practice. But also got to talk to uh, some of the other coaches, Kenny Dillingham and uh, and Marvin Wilson, who it was a bit of shock um, from him that that he was returning to this team. And uh, I got the chance to talk to him a little bit about what it's like working with the new staff and uh, getting a chance to to play one more year at, at Florida State. So uh, gonna play that audio real quick as well. Uh, going through the spring, really, I just want to uh, just learn the defense. You know, just come in, uh, work on my pass rush moves. Uh, really uh, recognize play uh, formations and you know, play recognition. Getting there, watch more film on myself, and just identify a lot of weaknesses that I need to fix before the season. Do you remember the defense? You just talk to any of the coaches about the scheme for this coming? Um, most definitely. Um, got to uh, get up there, and talk to Coach Clint, uh, Coach uh, JP, you know, uh, Coach Fuller. Uh, uh, Joe and a lot of different guys on the staff. Whoever's in the defense staff room when I go up there, that's why I really talk with getting there, go over some plays, signals, uh, learning different responsibilities, not just mine, but the uh, DBs and linebackers really trying to exp expand my IQs. Uh, you know, slowly but surely, it's like, it's kind of like feeling like, I now feel like what a quarterback feels like when he goes to the playbook, just uh, knowing what everybody has to do at the same time. It really could be nerve wracking there sometimes, you know, uh, but at the same time, you just, it's all about repetition. That was Marvin Wilson, defensive tackle, be a senior defensive tackle for Florida State this year, deciding to come back and play one more year for the Knowles. For some reason, he decided that uh, that was in his best interest. We we don't really know, but glad to have him back on the football team this year. And uh, he's always a great interview, and it was great to get uh, get the chance to talk to him on Friday at that event, as well as some of the other players and, and, and coaches. Uh, but that was on Friday. Saturday morning, uh, myself and, and also Alex Krutchik, uh, we're out there bright and early at the uh, practice fields for the first spring practice of the year. And it was uh, chilly and windy and my allergies were bad and uh, it wasn't uh, the most comfortable I've ever been in a media setting. But hey, it was it was a good practice. And Alex, what did you think of, of, of the energy around practice? I loved the energy, Brett. And it was energetic like from the very beginning. I saw uh, the offensive coordinator, Kenny Dillingham, walking around during just like static stretches, like high knees, butt kicks, stuff like that. And he was getting in a player's face, screaming at him for not finishing out a stretch properly. Uh, that was five minutes into practice. I, I just loved the energy. And then uh, about 10 minutes into practice, we saw James Blackman in the first team offense doing what looked like not necessarily hurry up drills, but just basic passes downfield, uh, going 10 yards at a time and just sprinting to the next play. Uh, and then I saw Coach <clears throat> Coach Norvell was hanging out a lot with the quarterbacks and wide receivers, and he was riding uh, uh, Tamarion Terry all day. You could tell that he's putting in a focus, trying to get the most out of him, because he was yelling at him anytime he wasn't going 110 percent after every single play. Which is incredible, because I, you know, from from what we saw, Terry was still killing it. He gained. Talked to him on Friday. He said he gained 15 or 16, 16 pounds. pounds. And uh, you can tell he's thicker, the, the traps, the arms, the legs. But he said he feels faster now because of that. He says he feels stronger and just better overall. And you could really see it on in practice. And uh, the link up between him and James Blackman was looking oh so fine yet again. And we know how good they can be when they link up on those deep balls. And uh, Alex, quarterback play Saturday. I know it's first practice. We don't want to draw any big conclusions on the first practice, yet alone the first practice of spring. But... Uh, Thoughts on, on James Blackman? Uh, James Blackman, I mean, you know, there's a lot of just physical stuff going on in practice, not a lot of mental stuff, and that's what Blackman's uh, concern has been the last three years here. So what I saw from him was a very uh, tight spiral. He was able to throw the ball downfield with high velocity, which was nice to see, but we already knew that about him. What I want to see is, you know, as practice progresses and as we start going into the playbook, how does he actually handle adversity? 
Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm. I, I agree with you. For maybe that's a first that I agree. I agree with you on something like that. But no, James Blackman looked good. Jordan Travis, couple good throws, a lot of shaky throws, which is what I've been saying for for quite some time about Jordan Travis. But man, we haven't really gotten to see much of his arm yet, have we? That's true. Which I, and I've always said there's probably a reason for that. Yeah, there's, that's a fair point. But back to Alex, you were saying about like the mentality of James Blackman. That's the one thing that I want to see from this whole team to change because. With the way that the Willie Taggart era ended, the players kind of got down themselves a lot in last season. And that's why they weren't able to finish sometimes. And just the mentality has to change if they want to win. That's I know it's the most difficult thing to measure because you can't measure the mentality or anything of a guy or a girl. But still, it's that's one thing that we have to see grow this year or this spring. And that's going to be – like I don't care if Blackman puts on another 10 pounds or another 100 pounds at that. He, they have to get better mentally. Yeah, so that was what worried me most, you know, about last season. It just seemed like the players weren't really in it as much. They weren't as confident, as focused. So it's, you know, good to see that uh, Norvell, he seems to be having these players buy into his plan and having them, you know, really, really, yeah, just buy into it and support the system that he's building. And also, sorry, just to go back to Gary for a second about the end of the Taggart era. James Blackman said probably the most interesting thing at spring practice. He said the last few years we haven't been pushed as much, and I feel like I'm getting pushed a lot by Coach Mike Norvell, and I thought that was very interesting. And what you guys were saying about Dillingham getting in players' faces and yelling at them for not finishing out stretches, I guarantee you a lot of those players, a lot of players in general, no matter what sport, have not been yelled at for not finishing out a stretch. It's very rare to ever hear that. I I never finished out my stretches. No, Hmm. I mean, just speaking as a middle school flag football player, we would sometimes (laughs) run three laps instead of four to warm up. (laughs) But, hey, Brad, at least you were sticking to your plan. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I stick to my plan. I still do. Um, Yeah, you know, uh, they also had uh, Tay Rodemaker out there speaking to the media. I didn't didn't get any comments from him, but I thought that was interesting, especially freshman first practice. But uh, kind of my my goal when when talking to some of these players, and especially some of these coaches, early on here, trying to get a better feel of what the players' relationship is like with the assistant coaches, with their position coaches, with the coordinators. Got the chance to talk to uh, Coach Dillingham a little bit on Friday, who sounds like a Mike Norvell mouthpiece 100%. Propaganda. Just like very, like like I told, I don't remember who I told, I think it was Ryan Kelly on Saturday morning. I was like, if if, if Mike Norvell went into a lab and, and just created a coach that spoke the same way as him, had the same cadences as him, the same mannerisms, and popped him out onto the football field, it'd be Kenny Dillingham. So, hey, maybe that's good that he's got him on staff. Um, but, yeah, coach, you know, the players, coaches gave the same answer. Yeah, we're working with him. We're, you know, introducing the new schemes, introducing, you know, the culture that we want to establish and implement here at Florida State. Um, but overall, James Blackman seems to be buying in. Marvin Wilson seems to be buying in. Um, a long ways to go till August. We have no idea who that starting quarterback I- is going to be. But uh, and I've n- I never went to a Tiger practice, so I had nothing to compare it to. Um, the, I did notice it was intense, but again, I had no idea the intensity of the Tiger practices. Talked to some people though that had been there, and uh, they said there was a difference. Still very early on. Don't want to draw those conclusions from one practice, but I was impressed. I was really impressed. I think one of the key things to look for, you were talking about interviewing players and what what you're looking for out of that. I think first going to the assistant coaches, hearing what they're preaching, hearing what their style of play is and all that stuff, that's great, but that's coach speak. 100%. When you get get to interview the players, the things I'm looking for when, when I'm listening to them is, are they reciprocating that same message from the coaches? Are they... Are they learning what the coaches are teaching them and then being able to reciprocate that to other people? Because that tells me that they're actually buying in. And especially when it comes to strength and conditioning, taking care of your bodies, because that was, that was a huge part of FSU's problems last year is they could not stay get on the field healthy. And the wear and tear of the season just brought them down in a middling ACC. Like, FSU should have won eight or nine games probably with the, with the level of play that was present in the ACC. Um, so I think players buying into the assistant coaches, just what you were saying, that's going to be key for FSU this year. All right. Just to kind of go off on a little, a little side about that, like speaking about those, you know, injury, like rehabbing players, one of the things that Coach Norvell talked about in that press conference on Saturday was that, um, you know, players or reps for these injured or rehabbing players would probably be, like, pretty limited, but that they'll use, like, VR to yeah. for them to see reps from, like, the perspective of their position. I just found that kind of interesting. I thought like, that how would that go about? Yeah, you know? I thought that was cool. I thought that was interesting. I still don't know what that means, how it's implemented. It's something that I don't know if 
we're gonna have access to. I'd love to try it out. I don't know. Maybe I do. Maybe I'd be a much better football player in virtual reality. <laughs> um, but yeah, that is interesting. A guy like Akeem Dent, who's gonna miss the entire spring with an injury that he picked up during the tour of duty. You know, he'll get a chance to to keep working. I think Corey Durden was out for practice on Saturday. A couple of these other guys that need to play a big role for Florida State and can't afford to miss that much practice still find their ways to work, get better. Get I heard it a lot. It's a common uh, term, but just get 1% better every day. I know James Blackman said it a few times. Pretty sure Marlon Wilson, Marion Terry also kind of reciting the same thing. Um, but, yeah, a lot of stuff to be impressed with so far in the Mike Norvell era and uh, with spring practice. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about it as we get through the spring, especially once basketball is done, hopefully well into April and we're all said and done with basketball. But that's going to be all we've got tonight. Uh, it was a great show. Again, you can catch all, any of the show uh, back as a podcast anywhere you get your podcast. Uh, thank you to Ari Masudi for joining the show tonight. Alex Krutchik, you just hopped in real quick, talked a little bit about practice. That is awesome. We had uh, Bryce Roden on Seminole Segment, Amanda Neppel running the Twitter account tonight. Uh, thank you always to our producers, Sebastian and Giuliano, for Lucas Vetia, for Luke Hazen, for Gary Putnick. I'm Brett Rutherford, and this was Tomahawk Talk on WVFL. Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. New release is up next.